Hi, welcome to 442 FM. We've got such an action-packed pod for you, we didn't even have room for Adam Jackson this week. We've got Con Sandikasas, we've got John Davidson, and we've got special guest, Simon Hill. Welcome to 442 FM. I'm Kevin Ayres. We do have, or have, Simon Hill, who's a birthday boy today. How are you guys? Good to see you. And yes, I am a birthday boy today. I'm not going to tell you how many candles, but I am. <laughs> Keeping it well under his hat, but tell you there would be so, a suffice to, suffice to say that I hope I'm not the last Englishman to reach a half century this Australian summer. <laughs> Conversely, we hope you are. <laughs> Spoken like a true Scotsman, Kevin. <laughs> Any opportunity to beat the English, I'm there for it. Um, is this the end of days or is it the second coming? We've got Australian football in crisis at the moment. Um, where do we go from here? <laughs> well, how long's this podcast? Three hours. <laughs> um, yeah, look, it's it's a tough one at the moment, and you know we're in a situation whereby, come the first of December, which is not too far away, we could theoretically. It's not inconceivable. We could be without a national team coach. We could be without a chairman. We could be without a board. We could be without a CEO. That's worst case scenario. Um, <laughs> obviously, we don't. We hope it doesn't come to that. And of course, on top of all that, we might not be going on the plane to Russia. So, if that was you know all to play out, then we would have a pretty miserable Christmas. Let's be honest. Um, but. Hope springs eternal in this game. <laughs> We've overcome so many problems before. Uh, I hope that, uh, obviously, on the pitch, the team reaches the World Cup. That's of vital importance for the game's health in this country, medium in to long every, term. In every, every sense. Respect, I think. Uh, in terms of the Congress, uh, I, I can't see a way out of it, to be honest, uh, other than FIFA coming here and imposing their will on the game. Unless there is an 11th hour... Miracle or, or solution that is pulled out the hat, but to me, and obviously I'm not there every day, you know, having these discussions. But from the people I talk to, I'm sure you're the same. The two sides in the in the civil war are so far apart that, and and the atmosphere is so toxic that you just can't see that uh, any sort of resolution or compromise can be reached. It does seem to have really got very, very bitter very quickly. Obviously, there's always been the friction between grassroots and state and club owners and the FFA. Um, but it does seem to have escalated dramatically in the space of six months or so. Yeah, yeah look, it has. And um, it really should never have got to this point. You know, the... The FFA's preferred Congress voting model, uh, and I know this is a bit dry for listeners in part, but you know, bear with us, try and stay awake. Uh, <laughs> nine, three, one, nine state votes, three for the clubs, one for other interests. That was never really going to fly. You know? and, and initially, as I'm led to believe, uh, the clubs were willing. They offered 9411, which conversely has become the FFA's, you know, this is our final offer. Well, actually, the clubs, as I understand it, wanted that initially. But the FFA dug their heels in and said, no, it's 931 or nothing. Um, and therefore, you know, ever since that point, the, the two 
uh, warring factions have been getting further and further apart until we're now in this entrenched position where the FFA is saying it's 9411 or nothing and the clubs are saying no, it's 9511 or nothing. And the crucial one vote, it seems trite, but you know, as, as we all know in the football world, it's, it's about having the balance of, not the balance of power, but enough of a percentage of a vote, a vote to be able to uh, influence how the, the board is made up. So this all goes back to 2015 when Frank Lowy handed over power and um, really the game should have been, in my opinion anyway, democratised at that point. That, that was the time to bring all the stakeholders back in the room, have the discussions, the arguments if necessary at that point and get a representative board. And instead, as, as we know what happened, uh, we, uh, you know, we had a, essentially a hereditary handover of power. I know Stephen doesn't like me saying that or other people, but I'm sorry, it's true. Uh, we had a hand-picked board and the clubs who wanted, if you remember, just one seat on the board, they'd try to put forward Mal Hemmeling, nominated by Adelaide United. They couldn't even get him in front of the state federations to have a, an interview. He was flatly refused. And, you know, ever since that point, really, uh, they, they've been, you know, going further and further apart. And it's, it's really unfortunate because you think, had the FFA had the mouse to go, OK, listen, let's have Mal or, or somebody as a representative on the board. And this would never have happened. Um, but it just seems as though logic at every step of the way has gone out of the window. And so we are where we are. And... I can't see that FIFA has any other option but to comment. If they're serious about good governance, and obviously we can snigger when we talk about FIFA and you know that concept, but uh, this is a new, a new board. We've got to try and give them some trust, I suppose, uh, the FIFA board, and, and that they will come here and say what they're going to do if there is no agreement amongst all the stakeholders, which they have insisted upon, and as things stand, we don't have that agreement. I just don't see a situation arising where they're going to have agreement amongst all the stakeholders no. anywhere. And no. everybody's got their own agenda. Everybody's got their own priorities. Yes. Yeah. Well, look, the bottom line for me, long term, you know, this, this whole thing needs... However this plays out in the short term, longer term, the governance of the game needs total reform. And, and for me, that means abolishing the states or at least reducing their power significantly because at the moment there's such a block vote it's like the old you know trade union it's almost like margaret thatcher i'm mm. sorry to invoke that that <laughs> uh, you know nasty image in people's minds but um you know when she had to take on the unions to to essentially you know dilute their power and and this i'm not saying it's the same politically but it's a it's a similar sort of a concept and you know when you consider that in our current congress nine votes for the states one for the clubs football federation northern territory has more of a vote than Melbourne Victory with all their members and everything that they bring to the table. I mean, how is that even possible? Yeah. Um, but that's the way it's been allowed to develop. If you go back in time, and we've all, I'm sure, around this table read the, the Crawford Report, or at least part of it, you know, the, he could have written that yesterday. Mm. It, it, it still holds true today. Uh, you know, he, he, he said Soccer Canberra had... Um, you know, less votes than Soccer Tasmania, even though Soccer Tasmania didn't have as many registrations as Soccer. The whole governance of the game has always been unwieldy and problematic and political and factionalised. And we've got to sort this out because otherwise, in 10 years' time, we're going to have the same debate all over again. But the thing is, I mean, you've got these federations that if you expect them to vote themselves out of existence. It's like turkeys, turkeys voting for, for Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, which and is why it needs an imposition of, of, of somebody from above. 
Now, the FFA are not willing to do that, obviously, because at the moment that's their power base. Mm. So why would they do it? The clubs, I'm sure, would like to, but they don't have the power. So you've got <laughs> Catch-22, which is why I think that ultimately FIFA you know, has to come in and, and resolve this. I'm not saying you know, they shouldn't have any say in the game. Of course they should. They're very important stakeholders, massive stakeholders in the game. But at the moment, it's, it's a system that, in my opinion, is too easily manipulated on behalf of one party or another. Um, and th- this is why, ultimately, you know, we've got Football Federation Victoria, who are essentially the Liberal Democrats, holding the balance of power. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, they've got the crucial vote. Are they the Liberal Democrats or are they the, the One Nation I'll leave you to make that analogy. Um, I'm sure Kim Antalya-Norris would love to be compared to the one Asian party. Um, but uh, anyway, it, it's you know the, the theory holds true that it, essentially that this is why that vote has been so important. It's why Stephen Lowy has been flying down to Melbourne to try and lobby for support for his version of how the game should be. Uh, now, as we know, you know within the last 48 hours, Kim on and his board have come out in favour of the club's model, but. I'm not I sure. I'm they, not sure I that's think the they end changed of the story. At the end this morning. I'm not sure that's the end of the story. Yeah, I think uh, I saw something from uh, I think it was Benito was saying that it's actually changed yet again this morning. There's all sorts of things going on behind the scenes. I even heard that um, I'm sure you know this. The Football Federation Victoria had a big issue over one of their I think it's one of their board members who was who got in trouble for a, uh, abusing a young referee, uh, verbally abusing, by the way, not physically abusing, um, during a, a young. Get, uh, a youth game and uh, was removed from his post and then reinstated and a couple of the female members of the Football Federation Victoria board uh, resigned in protest and, and I, I heard that there were questions asked in Victorian State Parliament about all this yesterday. Oh, so, <laughs> I mean, go figure. Th- th- this is going to run and run. That, that's one of the reasons I think why the EGM has been postponed, yeah. which of course the clubs have seen a, as a win. <laughs> I'm not sure it is. No, you know, I, mean, I mean, it's going to be reconvened on November 27. That gives the powers that be another three weeks to, to lobby for support for their point of view. And, oh, God, please make it end. Because you remember, you know? I mean, the FFA set an absolute deadline. I think it was the middle of October. and said it's October? It's it was April initially. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there was the, the absolute deadline that Stephen Lowe is leaving the country on Friday. If it's not sorted by that Friday, then yeah. that's it. FIFA's coming but, in, but, and it, it, it's just playing for time. It's well, just buying it's, time, trying to whittle people down and find that weak spot that they can then exploit exactly. to maintain the status quo. But you see, in, instead of doing what is really necessary for the, for the future health of the game, and that is getting around a table and saying, OK, listen, we know you can't go to that, and we're not prepared to go to that. What, let's find a solution. We have to find a middle ground somewhere. Um, and if we can't do that, well, let's throw the towel and say to FIFA, look, you've got to come in and sort this out. But instead, people are so entrenched in their positions and saying, we're not budging. You will do as you're told. No, we're not budging. So you will do as you're told. And this is the way it's been in football in Australia since time immemorial. And, you know, every 10 years, we're going to, as I say, we're going to have this crisis every 10 years if we don't go back to the basics of good governance in the game. And at the moment, we don't have it. Yeah. Family dynasty is probably not the best way forward for that. Just ask Kim Jong-un. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, he has got a very nice... Actually, don't ask though. him. No. He would <laughs> probably say, brother. yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just waiting for Stephen Lawyer to go nuclear. I think that is the next stage.
Um, so yeah, so that's the Congress, and then we've also got uh, FFA actually moving slightly towards uh, second division, the championship. Uh, Were they? I think personally, I thought they just rephrased their denial into a slightly more acceptable form of words. Um, yeah, but I see the, the, the clubs certainly seem to be taking a lot of uh, comfort from the new open dialogue that seems to be promised, which is very vague to me. Well, uh, l- let me tell you what disappointed me uh, about the initial announcement on the national second division. I was there last week. Uh, Ruby Cryam and uh, one or two others journalists in the room that were invited to listen to their proposals for for the new championship. And look, I I don't know whether that's the correct model. Uh, I don't agree with everything that they say. Um, I think it would take an awful lot of work to get it over the line, um, suggesting that the winners get a place in the Asian Champions League is an interesting one. I'm not sure that's going to run. Um, I'm but not quite you know what? Precedent for that, is yeah. it, to be honest. Uh, but you know what? At least they're trying to do something. Absolutely. And they represent a, a significant portion of our game in Australia, and they deserve to be listened to. And Robbie actually said at the meeting, he said, FFA will shoot this down within an hour. He was only, I think, two minutes out. <laughs> um, and I was disappointed by the, not the content, because you can argue that, okay, it, it, this is not the right model, as I say, but the fact that, it, you know, essentially they said, A, shut up, B, there's no money, C, you don't understand the landscape, uh, E, we're in charge, and F, by the way, we're a bit busy with other stuff. Well, whose fault's that? Um, you know, why don't you say, it's the easiest thing in the world to put out a press release and say, we welcome today's statement. Uh, you know, we're not sure whether it has merit, but we invite them to come and sit around the table, which of course ultimately they did. Yeah. Come and sit around the table and let's see if those concepts have any merit or not. That's inclusivity. That's uh, dialogue with your stakeholders. That's the role of the FFA and their board. And too often they seem to sit, in my opinion, as judge and jury over the game instead of being a facilitator for the game, which is their role. They're there to represent the stakeholders, not to browbeat them into doing what they want. And I don't think they sometimes understand that concept. And look, the FFA get a lot of flack, and they do a lot of things that are very good, that go unseen, unspoken about, unwritten. So it's not as toxic an organisation as everybody makes out, but... Sometimes I think their PR is a little bit lacking um, and mm. that they come across as heavy-handed and dictatorial when really they don't need to be. Yeah, I think that comes from the top, though, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that's a directive that the, the PR department are kind of pushing out as a result. Uh, well, I, 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 I don't the PR department, but, you know, it's certainly the, 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 that's the perception. Yes, yeah, well, as a result yeah. of, uh, of the direction that they're getting. Uh, I... I I, I think things have to change. I think we've got to a point where it's impossible for us to move forward. But by the same token, I still look back and think, well, look how far we've come in 15, 20 years. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, we have to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Of course. And tread carefully uh, to, to get to the next stage. But, you know, Kev, the bottom line here is Frank Lowy did a fantastic job for the game. Mm. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think he got everything right, but considering, as you just said, where we were to where we've come to, the the game is in excellent shape, uh, really, to go forward. Um, The the problem really has been this uh, point in 2015 where the game was ready to, you know, jump on board and and work together and, and try and improve upon that legacy. And instead we got Stephen, and I have no problem with Stephen, 
uh, as a guy, he's a football fan, he's a very obviously a very successful businessman, he's very approachable actually on a one-on-one -on -one basis, um, no disrespect to his father, but far more so than his father, um, but his track record has been pretty ordinary mm. since taking over, yeah. um, and unfortunately the game is impatient for change, we want progress, and we're not getting it, so this is why there's agitation behind the scenes, and for... Stephen and the FFA to continue to come out and say, don't forget where we've come from, don't forget what we've done. Well, we appreciate that. But it doesn't stop there. You know, we've got to keep going. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what people are anxious for, and which is why we're all a bit agitated. I think with, the, champ I think with the championship thing, though, the model is potentially there for them yep. to set up a, a self-governing, self-funding self -funding, uh, competition in the same way that the Premier League was an offshoot of uh, the Football League, set up self-funding, self-financing, uh, self-governing. That's what the clubs have said. Uh, We're going to pay for it. We don't yeah. want, we don't want mean, money from it. At, at that point, you've got to say, go ahead, go with it. Yep. You know, run with it. And you know what? We don't think it's going to work necessarily, but if we'll you, support if you, you all fall the way. Over, if you fall over, so long as it doesn't impact in the short term on the A-League, then exactly. it doesn't matter. That's yep. your fault. Yep. That's your problem. Yep. If you want to get it up and running and you feel you can do it, then we'll support you because ultimately we need a national second division. Yep. And everybody knows that. Yep. And we need more teams. And more professional footballers. Yep. And coaches. Yep. And administrators. And, and some, media people. And some streaming strikers. <laughs> yeah. Streaming strikers would be really, really good. Well, yeah, you know, that's a good point, actually, Kev, because you look at the A-League clubs and obviously, you know, when they go for their imports, their visa players, they go for attacking players. Yep. That's understandable. And that's why there's very few. I think last year there was only three Australians who played regularly up, up, up front. One was Brendan Santalab, who were the best ball in the world. It's 35, 36. He's not going to play for Australia. And the other two were Jamie McLaren and Adam Taggart. And that's it. Yep. Or was. And Jamie McLaren can't get a sniff of the Socceroos game yep. anymore. Yeah. <sighs> Talking of Socceroos. <laughs> Should we just go and neck ourselves <laughs> on the back of the building? Um, I should also say that we have got John Davison and Con Stanacostas. I, well. I thought you guys were just sat here. The, and we're listening to the studio audience. Please, 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 we had somebody interesting in the room, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was like, you're joining the Simon from the Mount of Hill. That's a good opinion. For me, anyway. Like. That's a matter of opinion. Most people hear my voice too often. <laughs> um, so, yes, uh, Australian uh, national team. Uh, you guys were, were you at the Ange? No, I had the I, I watched in its full yesterday and yeah. had a uh, well, I wouldn't say had a laugh, but it was entertaining viewing. But Con was there, weren't you? Con was there. Mr. Hill was there too. Yeah. I thought you tried to frame your question to Ange. I thought so intelligently. You did <laughs> <I> failed. <laughs> was, a lot of the other journalists were like um, grilling him. Uh, are you gonna? What's what's? What are you gonna do? Are you gonna stay? Are you gonna go? But I think the way you framed your question. You highlighted how Ange had a vision to take the style of football to the World Cup, and mm. why don't you want to uh, take that, the vision and what you want to do for Australia to the World Cup? Why don't you want to do yeah. that? And he, you know, still baffles. Well, that, that, that was the th that's the thing that still baffles me most of all. And Ange just said all along, you know, whilst all of us journalists have been questioning the back three and you know his tactics, his selections, or whatever, and he's got a bit bristly with all of that. 
And one of his responses has been consistently, uh, I will be justified at the World Cup. I'm not preparing a team to play Asian opposition. I'm preparing a team to go and play the Germanys, the Spains, the Brazils, and I will be vindicated in my methods against the bigger nations of world football. And, you know, that's a fair, a valid point. So you're going to walk away before that happens. That, that's and what it, baffles me. Yeah. And, and also, since the Asian Cup, um, and I think the, the Germany game that I was at, which was a 2-2, we haven't actually matched any of those top teams. We've lost to England, we've lost to Germany, we've lost to Brazil. We haven't... Yeah, but they've been competitive, to be fair. In some some of those games, I think they've been competitive. I think think in others they haven't. They've been dominated. You know, the Confederations Cup against Brazil. But but Um, the the principle, John, is that he's he's saying that he's preparing his team. They're not there yet, we know that. But he's preparing his team to play those sorts of nations. He wants us to take on those Hmm. big nations of world football. And I get that, and I actually applaud it. But uh, if if that's what your plan is, then... Why are you not? Why are you suggesting? Well, he isn't actually suggesting. He's not saying anything. But you know, why is this rumor circulating that he's he's going to walk away before he gets a chance mm. to do that? I find that really I, strange. I, I think it's bizarre, to be honest. I mean, the, the only possible reason is the whole eighteen uh, D chess thing, where he's trying to deflect attention away yeah. from Honduras, away from the players, away from the squad theory, selection. Mm. I just don't believe that, though. To be honest. I just don't it's very Machiavellian, it. isn't it? It's too Machiavellian. Yeah. And, but it, what do you, you think, Con? I think that this is what I think why he's not saying it is because it's almost like an arrogance to think that we've already qualified, therefore we can answer the question. We haven't qualified yet. So that's why he's saying, this is what I believe, we haven't got there yet. When I get there, then I'll answer the question. But I'm not going to tell you but, if but I qualify leaked, what I'm going to do. That's, that's the problem, though. But he's the one who leaked it. It hasn't come from him. Well, but it has. Saying, it has. It has. Who else could it come from? Because it, it hasn't come from a club. He could have said it, it offhand to someone at the FFA or to some some coaching friend, and it's come through. Like, it's it's a, it's a hearsay. It's not substantiated that he said it. It's not a direct quote. It's the only possible source could be from him so originally. The way that I'm thinking is why he's acting like this is we haven't even qualified yet. Let's get there first. And it's kind of an arrogance to suggest we're there. Let's find out what you're doing now. But what does, An- what does Ange want to talk about at these press conferences? Because he doesn't want to talk about tactics because we apparently don't know anything. Um, and don't don't criticise the three men back I mean, line or talk about thinking Brad Smith who's played more games for Australia than he has in his cold club football yeah. career. Uh, so you know we're not allowed to talk tactics. We're not allowed to talk selections. We're not allowed to talk about his future. What what are these press the weather? This, this, the this, weather. This is another element that, that, con. that surprises <laughs> me. <laughs> that that Ange, as you remember. 12, 18 months ago, whenever it was, you know, went public saying we need more robust debate in the media. We need our media to be more critical. We need them to be more analytical. Uh, we need them to put pressure on our players to, to make them improve. And we all went, oh, okay, but yeah, that's a fair point. Mm. So <laughs> we all went away and did that, and he didn't like it. No. So it's it's a bit it's a bit of a head scratcher. Um, I'm, I'm with you, Kev. Sometimes I go to the press conferences and I think. What am I going to ask? Um, because it, it, it genuinely doesn't seem to want too many questions, really. No. And we've, we've even slipped back into this, you know, other nations get behind their teams. Come on. That's not the media's job. Everybody knows that. Uh, I get that from the public because they don't understand how the media works. But 
from the national team coach, and you know, Andrew's, Andrew's worked in the media, he's a, he's a smart guy, he worked with us at Fox Sports for a long time. And can I just say, by the way, I remain a fan of Ange. I yeah, still think too. he's the best man for the yep. job. And I said on Fox Sports News, you know, on the day of the press conference, that my disappointment with all of this is that I, I think he deserves better in terms of his legacy than this. Mm. I don't want him to go down in history as being the man who won the Asian Cup and then failed to get to the World Cup and divided everybody in the process. Yeah, I think that's a real shame for him because he's done a lot for our game. But and, uh, he's brought this on himself. Yeah, that's I, what that's, really frustrates yeah. and annoys me. And just me. just what Simon was saying there. Living in the UK and working in the, in the English media, you can't compare the level of criticism or debate. No and if there's complaints about that, you just... Nobody's put a turnip on his head. Or umbrellas or... We haven't seen this amount of fury to an Australian coach after they've won a game. They've beat Syria to get through the next round. And then out but, comes this rumour that he's leaving and everyone forgot that we actually won and has just gone... This is on a strain. He can't be leaving the ship. And, and again, it hasn't come. It's going down. <laughs> <laughs> that could be an omen. That could be an omen. Save like Schwartz. If it is true that he is leaving, then that's that's a that's a discussion. Like, okay, that's not. So, I, Colin, I it sounds to me as though you 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 sort of agree with Andrew's stance, and you you're you're, I can just, see you're, tr- you're justifying I can, the way he's. I can see he's where been. he's coming from. That he doesn't want to talk about. If I qualify, if I qualify, what what, what am I doing? But, I the, can but see that. the reason for that is his contract goes through until the end of the World Cup. Yeah, Russia campaign. That's that's where it. Well, okay, campaign. Cup, but campaign. I think it's it's perfectly understandable. Remember back in 2010, Pimba Bate came out and said, "I will be leaving after the 2010 World Cup." Mm. Everybody knew that, and everybody was fine with it, and went, "Yep, yeah, no problem. Get on with." Your football. Same in 2006. There goes another jersey. Um, you know, Hus hitting. We all knew that Hus wasn't staying beyond Germany 2006, and and that was fine. The fact is, is that Ange has not answered the question one way or the other, and it's a legitimate question to ask, given that his contract. This is an important job. You yeah, know? this is the national is team coach. This affects a lot of people. So I think it's a perfectly legitimate question to ask. And, and also, sorry. I, sorry, I think it's a perfectly legitimate question to ask as well, but he hasn't said it. He yeah, but he, he's leaving. maintained the ambiguity about it because and all he had to say was, my job is runs to the end of the campaign. I'm sticking with it until then. He's saying that. He said that, but no, he's, he's not. the second part. He's said yeah. I'm sticking with it. He's just saying my, my job is till the end of the campaign. And to me... Um, if Australia does get to the World Cup, I think he'll be there. I just don't see a scenario where he. So why doesn't leaves. he come out and say that? Because he hasn't. He hasn't. Uh, I don't think he's been responsible for the rumor. He hasn't been quoted as saying that. I really don't think so. I love your naivety, <laughs> Con. I think the other just point that I what to, I have to be naive because if it's true, then I'm really upset. <laughs> I just said the point. The point I said that Simon was making. I don't know national team coach, at least in my memory, has had as much power in shaping Australian football than Ange. He's essentially the technical director. He's picking A-league coaches to go to St. Cobbs. He's picking the Oli Roos coach, the young soccer Roos. He's got an... And I think he's, like Simon said, I'm a fan of Ange and what he's done. But no one is perfect either. We all make mistakes. So he has got an unusual amount of power and I think the scrutiny comes with that and about his future. 
And he wanted that script. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. So he brought yeah, it on. You, you can't change your mind. You can't ask no. for one thing and then go, actually, I don't want it. Yeah, and to turn around yesterday and say, I think I'm the only person in this room that cares. That that was a that really interesting, really, yeah. Really so annoying all the football it. media don't want Australia to qualify for the World Cup. No one else here seems to care. That yeah, Excuse that's me? yeah. You know, at the very worst, we've got trips to Russia to think about. You know, mm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a very odd situation, really odd. I, I don't remember anything like it throughout my career where there's been such ambiguity about a coach's yeah. I mean, future. Ange first raised the future. Uh, Back in March, he was at a, a AP sports editors conference that I was at, and he said at that that you know he probably wouldn't be coaching after the World Cup, and then suddenly it's got more and more defined mm. and ambiguous uh, well, in the at, months since then. He said at a Liz Murray function um, that he was leaving. He said, yes, he said after that, the World yeah. Cup, after the World he said Cup he's at that stage. After the World Cup. But again, and then it's got more and more vague since then. Um, so, look, and the speculation he's been angling for other jobs yeah. since last year. But you know, for the life of me, speculation. You know, the point's been made. I cannot think of a single club that would keep a management post open all this oh, time. Yeah, well, I, th- I think we're getting close to the crux of the argument here. I mean, and just said all along, these jerseys are not really, yeah, it's <laughs> the worst stick you've it's ever had. It's much like Australian really football, the pillars are slowly falling <laughs> down by the end of the podcast. So, so that's the States. <laughs> that's uh, the FFA. That's the PFA. <laughs> um, I, I think we're getting close to the crux of the argument here. I mean, and just made it long clear that he wants to return to club management and he, he'd lo- love to have a crack at Europe or Asia. There goes the PFA. Um... <laughs> And I, I think he wants to be available when those job offers come up, or at least they're being discussed. And you know, we're heading towards the January transfer window, where maybe some clubs in Europe or Asia might make a change. The end of the Asian seasons, the end of November, uh, you know, China, Japan, all the, all those places. I, I think that's probably something to do. I don't know if he's had a concrete offer from somewhere, or whether he's got a bit of interest from somewhere. But I, I think that's probably the closest to the truth that we're going to get. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Con, you're smiling <laughs> wryly in the corner. You obviously know something we do. Oh, I don't. I, don't um, well, I, I spoke to uh, a Greek journalist and I asked him, like, what if, have you heard any of this stuff that's going on with Andrew? Would he go to a club in Greece, perhaps? And the Greek journalist told me they, the big Greek clubs don't go for Greek coaches. And he's not... Like, he's he's not a Greek coach. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and um, so... He's not going to uh, any big clubs in Greece, and I don't think he's going to any of the smaller clubs in Greece. Uh, so Sunderland. I, I don't know where. I don't, I don't, I don't know where <laughs> we go. What job has he got lined up that's waiting for him? I think it's in Asia. I think it's in Asia. Magical want... job is is there waiting for him? Just just so Ange can leave. I, I don't I don't know where he would go. He's either going to be putting himself on the market or he has got something, as I say, that's an off-season. I think it's in Asia because being in the UK, Asian football doesn't rate, you know, I don't think really his achievements as a coach in terms of the UK and at least in the top leagues in Europe really... Yeah, I, I, I mean... To, I don't know about it. I think, I, the UK, you might be right, but I think in European terms, you look, you look at Tony Popovich going to Karabuk Sport, okay, it, you know, it's a club that we don't know a lot about, but it's in the Turkish top flight. I think that there would be interest in his services, given what he's done. I'm not saying he would be a favourite for, for the gig, but I think there's, there is potential for him to go to Europe. I don't think he'll end up you know, 
There was some speculation a while ago that you know he's going to be in the Premier League. Well, I don't think that's going to be the case to start off with. That's no. not to say that he's not good enough to be, but I don't think that would be a natural step for him. Uh, personally, I think he'll end up in Asia, first of all, and mm. use that, hopefully, if he does well as a stepping stone. I, I think the, the main thing that he's got against him, uh, going to the UK, is they just don't scout new co- coaches. You know, there's a yeah. merry-go-round of set coaches who get set jobs. Well, I think they do, and, but and it's in Europe. It's in Europe. And generally, uh, it's, it's ex-players who have a higher profile. Like Tony Popovich is obviously known... In, at least in, in English football, having played at Palace for so long, yeah. Harry Kuehl at yeah. Crawley Town I mean, and Ames you know, doesn't that, come in with that. That's the level that they're coming in at. You know, the lower and Harry's finding it very hard. And, yeah, struggling yeah. at Crawley. Um, it's, it's, it's not going to be easy for him. And certainly being the first Australian coach not to take the Australian team to the World Cup and four it's attempts not look yeah, is not a great CV. thing. Uh, trying to introduce a three at the back and failing is not great in your CV. Um, and uh, the shitstorm that he's created uh, in terms of publicity over the past few months, I can't really see being a very attractive thing for a new club either. So, you know, in terms of helping his job opportunities, he's shooting himself in the foot in different levels at the moment, I think. Um, So, we've crossed off, we've done Socceroos, we've done Congress, we've done the Championship. Oh, A League! A League! Oh yeah, that yeah, competition that's going on. Yeah, yeah this is football, <laughs> football. That's the, what we're here for. I've forgotten about that. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, what, what were the lessons from the weekend? Anybody? Uh, Key talking points. Oh, VAR. Yes. <laughs> how good are the Newcastle Jets this season? <laughs> how good were they? Well, how good? Undefeated after four rounds. That hasn't happened in probably ten years. Yeah. But goodbye, Vargas. Yeah, but I think they were terrible in the first half. I was at the game. They were atrocious. But I think Andy gave them a, a good head kicking at half time and they should have won that game. Last season, they wouldn't have won that game. They would have lost 1 or 2 nil. There's a different mentality, at least there. You know, they're probably not going to win the A-League, but I think they're a very good shout for the six, and that would be huge, not only for the town, but also for, for the competition. You know, yeah. Because they've been rubbish for so long. Oh, absolutely. I think Ernie's done a great job. Really recruited very, very well, I thought. He's, he's done well. Uh, he's a smart guy, Ernie. Um, you know, he's been around for a long time, and I know that he's, he was very cut up about Ronnie Vargas's injury because they mm. thought they had somebody really special there. They did. And, you know, I, I still do, obviously. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, obviously, that's a, that's a horrific injury. Um, whether they go out and replace him, I'm sure they will. Um, but whether they can find somebody who's good or not. I mean, uh, big talking points in the week. I'm sure we'll talk about the uh, accursed VAR in a minute. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the interesting one for me remains Melbourne City. Ahead of this weekend and that game, Melbourne City-Sydney FC, which is by far the standout clash coming up. Um, you know, they're, they're top of the league, they're four from four, and yet, really, they're not playing well, no. if we're being honest. But Warren Joyce has done one thing, and he's, you know, he's tightened them up so much defensively. Uh, and it's a pretty damn good platform to build from. Um, and you look at the talent in their squad, you only have to look at their bench at the weekend, Kale, Bajinski, Bratton. Um, Kilkenny can't Kill get Kenny in and he was the player, the, of the, <laughs> the player of their team last season the player of their season Brandon is still to come back they've got Fawn Rowley on the injury mm. list Ross McCormack's making noises about maybe staying a bit longer you know they've got incredible depth yeah. particularly when you compare them strangely enough with Melbourne victory over, over the road you know their yeah. bench was pretty light at the weekend in comparison so when they I reckon they're playing 30-40% of their capability at the moment and they're winning games. That's yeah. scary for the rest it's, of the league. It's interesting. They I mean, find fluency. Wow. They've kind of taken the, the Arnie approach of build from the back. Yeah. Get the back solid. 
uh, and then you can focus on the goals. And they've got the firepower up front. Russ Carmack really turned out to be a, a great yeah. little uh, mm. injury replacement. So, so, so on Friday, do, do we see two teams who are basically parked on the edge of their box, <laughs> plus with, with cows grazing in the midfield? It is going to be a really interesting <laughs> Aerial battle, I think. Yeah. And then Matt Simon will come on and just <laughs> 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 the destroyer. Find the first foreigner. This is Australia, mate. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting days, and I, I think yeah, it's going to be potentially a season decider, or certainly one of the key matches for, to decide. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a bit early for a season decider, isn't oh, it? but it's, it's, it's certainly it's, it's a tasty game, and I think if City win it, then you've got to. You know, everybody's saying, oh, they've started well, but I think people are a bit nervous about making them favourites because they just haven't played well. Mm. But I think mm. if they beat Sydney, that will convince a lot of people. Yeah. Well, they found the secret to their success is just being boring, right? <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to play, you know, Dutch-style football. It's A lot of people would say that was Sydney FC last season. Oh. So, you know, whether the argument is whether they just need to get results because to, to create, you know, a fan base and that sort of thing, or they have to play... As you said, they probably played pretty football last season without winning yeah. games. So, can I just say, as an Englishman, how great it is after winning the FIFA Under Seventeen and Under Twenty World Cup, and now we've got an Englishman sat at the top of the A League as a coach. Football's coming home. Mm. <laughs> Maybe not yet, but it's nice. It's nice. I'll enjoy it whilst it's here. I just point out at this stage that about nineteen ninety two, Scotland's Under Twenty Threes and Under Twenties were one of the best, the two of the best teams in the world. Really. Very, very good. What did, what did they win? Um, I'm not sure they actually won anything. But, ah, they were, right. <laughs> but, they were but Kevin, exempt. we know what Scotland need to do. We need taller people to migrate and have sex with Scottish people. Great taller footballers. Gordon said it. We need less heroin, less deep fried food, and less <laughs> PlayStation. Gordon said. Yeah, he said genetically. Genetics. Yeah, they didn't have enough tall uh, players. And I oh, know the Scots that I've met generally don't meet that. Does he remember Gordon McQueen? <laughs> or does he, he was basically chiselled from granite. <laughs> yeah, and also, you know, Gordon Strachan was one of our finest players ever. He was. And he's a short arse. Yeah. So, you know, no, no, football's all about it. six foot we four people. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to digress on this, but that is an interesting topic the decline of Scottish football. Because mm. it, when I grew up in, in England, obviously in the 70s, yeah. you know, every top team had two, three, four Scots. My team, Man City, we had Asa Hartford and Willie Donachie, there was Graham Souness. At uh, Liverpool and Hampton, Gordon McQueen, Joe Jordan at Man United, you know, Dalgleish, mm. they were everywhere. Yep. What's happened? Heroin, PlayStation, <laughs> 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 <to> fried food. <laughs> they can't be. Well, I think we have those things in England as well. Yeah. Oh, we, we just did it better. Right. <laughs> no, honestly, uh, we, uh, we lost our way in the 80s and 90s. Uh, we got distracted. We, I went to a football seminar with Craig Brown. Uh, back in the, the 90s, and I keep harking back to this, and he was trying to explain what Scotland were going to be doing in terms of the national team. And he said, we've done a whole lot of research. We've cracked the numbers, you know, really crunched the numbers, and we've come up with the conclusion that teams that control possession generally go on to win games. <laughs> so that's what we're going to do. And they, they, he literally thought all you had to do was retain the ball. Revolutionary. And you were going to win the game. Nobody actually pointed out the whole bit about... Don't, don't, we, have, don't we have that over here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did he join FFA? We discovered that as well. It's just... And 
honestly, from that moment on, we then fell out with, uh, we had managers falling out with players and banning them from ever playing and players banning themselves from ever playing from the national team, Richard Goff and people like that. Mm. The whole thing just turned to shit. Uh, and it just became a joke. Uh, you know, there was no pride in playing for the, the jersey. Uh, there was fans, the old firm fans were only old firm fans. They weren't Scotland fans. Uh, it's a bit like the RBB and the Cove, not really being necessarily huge Socceroos fans as such. And it could, just could it, Brexit help now? Take it back to the eighties when the independence. When there was no <coughs> independence. And I, I think I think Scotland ultimately will vote for independence. Yeah. It's uh, I, when we got devolution. Uh, personally, I thought it was going to delay independence twenty-five years. We're now close to that twenty-five years, and I think it's going to happen. Do you know that's a good, this could turn into a political podcast? <laughs> personally speaking, as an Englishman, I, I think it's I think it would be great if Scotland achieved independence. Not because I want you to go in in that phrase, but it, it would actually give some definition to what our islands are. Mm. I talk about our. In the past sense, obviously, we you know we came from there, um, and as an Englishman, you know I, I want England to have its own identity yeah. in the same way that Scotland does to a large degree. I know you want more through independence, Northern Ireland, Wales, Republic of Ireland, etc. Um, but this, the, the Brexit thing is just an absolute disaster, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's a but I think you anyway. know, sometime in 2015, the world went through the wrong sliding door and. <laughs> Just went, we, we ended up in bizarre world. Mm. Theresa May, what a leader! That's all I can say. <sighs> Theresa the appeaser, <laughs> yes, <laughs> running through the fields of barley. Theresa, we got Abbott. It's all just mental. Meantime, football. Anyway, yeah. football. Um, and you've got a book. Oh, I do. Yes. Tell us. I'm uh, just a gob on a stick. Just a gob on a stick. It's called. Um, which what, what is that line? <laughs> it, it's uh, it's a line that uh, a former colleague of mine, a guy called Gary Hickson, when I used to work at BBC Radio Lancashire back in the day, many many years ago, and we were sat uh, around a table as we are now uh, discussing a program that we put to air that had attracted a fair bit of criticism for whatever reason. Don't ask me what. I can't remember. And uh, Gary, you was uh, a very gruff mank uh, United fan, unfortunately. Um, sat there and he used to be very blunt in his assessments and he said, listen, whatever we do, whatever we say to the general public will always just be a gob on a stick. <laughs> uh, that stuck with me for many, many years because it made me really giggle at the time. And, uh, and, and so we, we used to make it a bit of a standing joke, you know, whenever I'd go in and say something, he'd go, shut up, you're just a gob on a stick. <laughs> so I, that was, you know, that, I, I thought that was a good title. And to be honest, the, the, the publishers knew Holland weren't that keen on it because they, they didn't think it resonated particularly well in Australia, which I'm not surprised. Um, but anyway, they decided to go with it, so I'm pleased about that. I told my wife what it was called and she laughed a lot. She's <laughs> Because of course, gob has a, as a you know different connotations as well. It can also mean spit or, mm. or various other things. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's an autobiography. It is, yeah. It, it's basically um, the story of well, mainly my career. There's some personal stuff in there as well, which was tough to write at times. But it's mainly about my career and you know how I got started in football journalism, my career in England. Uh, which nobody in Australia seems to think I had one. Um, so I thought that was a good enough reason to write it. Um, and obviously the second part of the book is, is about coming to Australia and you know my experiences here, good, bad, indifferent. So hopefully people find it interesting. If not, don't read it. When, when was it you came to Australia? 2003. 2003, oh. just in time for... Yeah, yeah perfect and, and I didn't know that, obviously, at the time. you know, I've been very fortunate um, in that 
my arrival, I, I remember looking at the papers and thinking, Where, where's the football? <laughs> um, and there wasn't any. You know, I remember the, the first NSL season that I remember, which I think was uh, the, the 03-04 season, which was the last, last season, one. obviously. Yep. And when it kicked off uh, on a Friday night, I think the first fixture was Wollongong against somebody, and there was a single paragraph in the Daily Telegraph. <laughs> I'm not thinking, is that it? That was a hard one paragraph as yeah. well. Yeah. And, and there was just nothing. You know, it was a total void. And that's not to say there wasn't a football culture or a landscape here, because of course there was. Um, but it just wasn't covered. Um, and then, you know, 2004, so we had the, you know, the, the board revolution and the A-League and then the Socceroos. And it was just like a domino effect. And bang, bang, bang. And all of a sudden, you know, you, your career has gone in a completely different direction to the one that you expected it to. So it's been a really interesting, as Kevin Keegan would phrase it, roller coaster ride. Uh, and I've enjoyed it and been frustrated by it and, you know, been exhilarated by it, been saddened by it and irritated by it. All, all the emotions that I'm sure you've experienced as well on your football journey. So th- this is just a, a little snapshot of it. And I hope, as I say, people enjoy it if they want to read it. What's been the highest point so far? Um, oh, I think that you know the the combination of the Uruguay game and uh, the World Cup in Germany. I mean, they they were difficult to top. The, particularly the Japan game, that that was incredible that day. Mm. Uh, we're seeing so many people in the stands, and I I recount this story in the book that one of the first games I did, the first home game I I called Australian game was two thousand and four against Turkey. Uh, they did a two game series, if you remember, in oh, Sydney, remember. one in Sydney, one in Melbourne. And both games got crowds of about 25, 28,000. And I reckon 20,000 of those were wearing Turkish colours. <laughs> and this was my first home game. And I remember looking around the stands and going, what on earth is going on How here? does this work? And I said to Craig Foster, who was my co-commentator at the time, well, you know, what's all this about? And he sort of like shrugged his shoulder and said, look, mate, this is, you know, this is football in Australia. We've got a long <laughs> way to go. And I was like, wow. And to, to go from that and only you know, two years later to have... 15,000 people in the stands at a World Cup cheering them on as they beat Japan. It was quite some turnaround. Yeah, so. And it was a lot of that team were in at that Turkey game, right? A lot of the Socceroos yeah. that played in the World yeah. Cup, it was the same team. So. Absolutely. And, you know, Tim Cahill, if you remember, made his debut at the Oceania Nations Cup in Adelaide. Uh, mm. scored his first goal at the Marlin Sports Complex. <laughs> you know, in front of about 50 people and a dog. And he could have walked down the, you know, the, the high, George Street in Sydney and nobody would have recognised him. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they would have recognised Harry Kuehl, uh, maybe Viduka, Schwartz, or Lucas Neal at a push. You know, Bresciano, Grella, no chance. Yeah. They wouldn't know who those people mm. are. And I remember doing 2005, they, they flew back to play Iraq in a friendly at, at uh, Olympic Stadium. And I was booked to do a press conference. They decided to fly the two teams in together and they set up a temporary stage at the airport in Sydney and I emceed it. And as I, we waited for the plane to land. Uh, I sort of took a peek outside and there were about, again, 200 people milling around. I thought, oh, great, you know, we've got a bit of a crowd. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, the national team of Iraq. <laughs> the whole place went up. Drums, you know, flutes, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, wow. And ladies and gentlemen, here's your national team, Australia. Yeah. There was one girl there. One girl. Sounds like the Asian Cup. This is a good flashback. Are you for real? But, you know, we're... Obviously, that was a long time ago, and we, we've since made a lot of progress since then. So, it, <laughs> yeah, 
It, it was like, you know, the, my first year, I'm sure you were the same, when you come from overseas to Australia, and I don't mean this to sound disrespectful to the NSL, because I, I genuinely liked it as a competition. I thought it had many good points, some of which were a lot better than the A-League. Um, but it was like watching football on the moon. You know, it was so different. Mm-hmm. One of my first games was Parramatta Power against Sydney United, and I think there were only about a thousand people there yeah. in this big stadium. And uh, the Sydney United fans threw a flare, and the police waded in. I was, what am I watching here? I, I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> you um, came right at the death, though. Like, what a season to come in. Yeah, when it was the last one. And but having said that, I mean, you know, past glory in Northern Spirit were still getting decent crowds back in those days. Yeah, it started to wane by then. No, the, the, the last season, peak had yeah. gone off. Like yeah. if you turned up, like a, you know, say six, seven years earlier than that, of course, you would have seen, you know, something Sydney totally Olympic, different. Yeah. West Marconi, eighty thousand people at Leichhardt Oval. You would have seen. But Earth Glory, on, I'm anxious to stress. I don't mean to sound disrespectful you're not, you're at not, all. I'm just saying, I'm just um, saying, bad luck yeah, for you yeah. to come at the worst time and just see Absolutely. it. Like that's, that, it's understandable for you to say that. <clears> like, but um, yeah, we, we all know that you know there was mo- amazing moments with the NSL. Of course, they were just few and far between. That was the. Well, it was you know it was a league that was obviously towards the end it became dysfunctional and I think it was clear that it needed reform but you know personally speaking I think the A-League has done a brilliant job I know that's put a lot of uh, fans of those uh, traditional migrant clubs which however you want to label I know it's put them offside I think we need to find a way to be more inclusive of those clubs I don't know what that solution is but they certainly need to be uh, respected, valued, included, part of the future as well as part of the past. Mm. Um, and and th- it's you know the FFA's job to to try and find those solutions. Um, but I, I think you know that the A League has been fantastic in terms of the way it's it's changed the landscape here. And it's not perfect, but I, I think it's a good competition. Given uh, that you're the the voice of Australian football, one of. Yeah, let's see. The <laughs> capital, capital T. Um, you've had a few co-commentators, I think, probably over the years. Mm. The team that you've got at the moment, obviously, top professionals and great, but uh, there's been a few, uh, one or two people that you've gone, oh my God, what have I got landed with here? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's an interesting question, actually. Uh, I remember doing a, a, a game, th- these were only one-offs, so the first, the first night that Mark Bosnich was back uh, in front of the Australian public was with me. Uh, it was a game between Australia and who was it against? It was in London. Uh, Niger- was it Nigeria or Ghana? Anyway, it was a friendly game at uh, Craven Cottage. I was I was at that game. Was it was it Nigeria? Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah Craven Cottage. David Carney scored. I was at yeah, I was at that game. Belter and, and Bozza was my co-commentator that night. And I'd never met Bozza before. <laughs> <laughs> and as you know, he's got quite a large personality. Um, and uh, he, uh, he kept referring to David Carney as Scott Carney. And, uh, <laughs> and every time I threw him a question, he'd answer part of it. And then when the ball got near the penalty area, he'd go, anyway, back to the action. Back to the action. <laughs> that was it. So I remember that, was that, that was so clearly. One. Uh, <laughs> but obviously he was new to it. Uh, Harry Kuehl I did a game with, again in London. I think that was at Loftus Road. And uh, I remember speaking to Bert. It, it was one of, the, one of the periods when he was injured. So he... Bernie Mandich, who was then his, his Any time in the last 15 years, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> Bernie Mandich, who was then his manager, uh, said to me, um, you know, we're, we're trying to get Harry back in the public eye, particularly in you know, front of an Australian audience. 
so we got him to do the co-commentary with me, and I, I phoned Bernie before the game. I said, "Look, you know, does Harry want a bit? Of, does he want any help? Does he need to have a chat?" Or, and Bernie sort of rolled his eyes and looked at me and said. Listen, he says he's spoken to Jamie Carragher, he reckons this will be a breeze. So I was like, okay, <laughs> no problem. Anyway, so we did the 90 minutes and Harry was, shall we say, he wasn't the best at it. <laughs> was, he, was he Michael Owenish? Or? Yeah, and at the end of it, he, uh, we put our mics down and he looked at me and he went, God, that's not as easy as it looks, is it? And I was like, no, funnily enough. <laughs> so there's, there's been a couple down the years, but you know, most people that you work with are... They're good, they're good people. Yeah. Harry and Boz are good people as well, by mm. the way. What is the secret to being a good commentator? Well, some people would say, don't ask me. Um, <laughs> it's essentially research. That, that's the bottom line. You have to research. You have to uh, you know, make sure you know who the players are. You have to make sure you know the context of what's happening in front of you. Um, obviously, you need to be able to you know, talk and form sentences that vaguely make sense uh, in front of a, a game that is ever-changing, ever-unfolding in a thousand different ways in the space of 90 minutes and try and put all that into some sort of framework uh, for the viewers at home. It's not an easy art, and people think it is. I mean, the, the question I'm asked most of all, you know, what do you do the rest of the week? As if you just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's time for my game. Um, and that's, that's not the way it works. You know, you, you speak to people, you watch games, you research online, uh, you have to find out, like, for example, the game I did last weekend, and there's a young kid who was on the bench for the first time called Apostolos Stamatolopoulos. I hope I've got that correct, and you'll tell me if I'm not. Very well done. Um, and, you know, he's a young kid that I've Is never heard Adelaide? of before. Adelaide. Yeah. So he's a young kid I, I've never heard of before. So you've got to, you know, if he comes on, you can't just go, oh, here's uh, a new kid called Stammer, Stammer, what's his name? You know, you've got to know how to pronounce it. You've got Scott to know Carney. how old he is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you've got to know a bit about his background, how he plays. Uh, how he might fit in, um, whether it's his debut, blah, blah, blah. So the, there's all that stuff. And obviously when you know, you're doing the A-League, you, you know a lot of that stuff because you do it every week. But when you face a team like uh, Syria or Honduras or, you know, I, I've done games in Burkina Faso between the Democratic Republic of Congo and Egypt. And, you know, tell me, that's a challenge, particularly when they all dye their hair the same colour. <laughs> um, so it's it's about research first and foremost, and and if you don't do that, then you're stuffed. Uh, and you know the secret to success, really long term as a commentator, it, strangely enough, is longevity. You know, if you, if you do it often enough and long enough, you become part of people's lives mm -hmm. because you're in their living room every week, and they get used to you. Some might not like you, some love you, but by and large, they get used to you. And there's a reason why. You know, people like in the UK, Barry Davis and John Motson. They're good commentators, don't get me wrong. They've got a, lots of ability and they're, 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 they're very good people as well. I've, I've met both of them. But uh, it's because they've been on TV for donkey's years. So people feel as though it's familiarity. Mm. Yeah. You know, Les Murray, Johnny Warren, you know, nowadays me, Harps, Bozza. You know, we've been in front of the public for, for a lot of years. So you become part of the fabric Good, bad, or indifferent. People grow up with your with your voice. You know, yeah. that's the yeah. It's key and, and moments involved in the yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And that's where I've been really fortunate because, as I say, I time my arrival unwittingly. I didn't know it at the time, but uh, with the, with the exponential growth of the game in Australia, and I've been you know just been lucky enough to somebody's gone there. You go, there's the microphone, and you're behind uh, you know the scenes at some of the biggest games in in the sports history. So, I mean, that that's just my. Utter good fortune, to be honest. And then you've got to make sure you just don't stuff it up. <laughs> <laughs>
Which Hopefully I didn't. Too badly, anyway. Golden tonsils? You insured them? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, no. no. Do I'm not even sure you can. Can you? Can no, you insure your tonsils? I think John Laws did. I'm pretty sure John Laws did. Ah, uh, yes, he did, didn't yeah. he? Did. You've got to get a, get a golden microphone yeah. first. <laughs> Um, it had to be Tim Kale. Like, do you <laughs> was that my <laughs> accent? <laughs> That's the worst bank accent I've ever heard. Oh, is it? Greek uh. Mancunian. <laughs> Grand Cunian, is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes I will, you know, I'll write down a, a, the odd line or two yeah. if I feel as though, again, it's all about context, really. You know, if it's, I had a line for Alessandro Del Piero when he scored his first goal. I had that ready because. You don't want to miss that moment. You know, everybody was watching Del Piero that game on his home debut against Newcastle Jets. So you don't just want to go, oh, he's, you know, the Italians netted. And it's 1-0. <laughs> because you know that that's going to be replayed over and over and over again. So A, you've got to make sure you, you nail it. And, you know, B, it helps if you've got something that's a little bit memorable. Sometimes, sometimes it just comes to you. Like, you know, one of the ones that... People say to me a lot, particularly down in South Australia, ah, oh, see, senor, see. Hey, I bet you wrote that one down. <laughs> well, I didn't actually. That was for SIE's, you know, in the grand final in oh, 2016. Okay. And I, as he was lining up the free kick, that just came into my head. And I just thought, you know, if this goes in, I'm going to say that. Um, <laughs> but others you'll write down, others might just come to you. But it's sometimes you get lucky, sometimes, you, you know, it doesn't quite work or it doesn't quite scan. Uh, so it's it's all again it's all about context and knowing uh, at what moment to use that like you know if you like I had a line for Del Piero I think my line was uh, that's that's what they came to see that's why Sydney FC paid the money that's the measure of the man and I used that because it was a free kick and it was a damn good goal mm. you know it was a super free kick now if it's a tap in from two yards <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't quite work no, the same quite way well. so it's knowing when to use that line as well um, anyway it's yeah it's an imprecise art put it that way yeah. <laughs> um, so yes the, the book is out next week is it uh, I don't know. I think it's out now, isn't it? <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. We've really. got mixed messages from your publicists yeah. when we're setting this up. It's, it's coming out soon it. anyway. It's, it's for sale. <laughs> it's for sale. Buy it. Get it online. It's probably, if you can't get it now. New Holland publishers, or as, as the old line goes, at all good bookstores. And uh, Booktopia, probably, and Amazon, probably. And things like yeah, that. Probably. Yeah. Um, you are, uh, I am actually looking forward to reading it because unlike a lot of commentators or people on TV, you can actually write a book, can't you? Well, I'd like to think so. Yeah. Uh, I did train as a journalist, so hopefully. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, writing is, is, is part of my job, and it's a part of the job that I really enjoy. To be honest, when I first started in journalism, I didn't want to be a broadcaster. That, that, I had no interest in being on telly or radio. Mm. Uh, that sort of happened by accident. I wanted to write, and that's where I started. Uh, the Portsmouth Evening News doing youth team games. Wow. Portsmouth FC in the South East Counties combination. Um, so that's where I started, and I, I always, you know, I saw myself being ultimately you know, Daily Mirror or The Guardian, being a bit of a lefty. Um, <laughs> so that that was my career plan, but for whatever reason, it didn't work out that way, and I went in a different direction into broadcasting. So I mean, obviously, I don't regret it, but I still like to write because it's a passion of mine, and uh, you know, I love to write about football. I think that the written word has in many ways, much more impact than, than what we say on television because, you know, you go, oh, and it's gone and 
people forget about it within two seconds, unless you say something seriously profound. Or John Alice scores a penalty. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> the big moments, but it, but in in the written word, if you, if you you know if you frame an argument well, and with good use of, of language and uh, proper solid arguments to back up your case, then I think people appreciate it, or certainly they they take notice of it. And I think that the, the written word still has you know big impact, and that's why I still enjoy writing. Excellent. Looking forward to reading it. Thank you. This weekend, coming up, we've got um, the big one that we are talking about earlier, yeah. City versus Sydney, uh, Jets v Phoenix, Glory and Adelaide, and then on Sunday we've got Roar and Mariners, and Victory and Western Sydney Wanderers. And of course we've got the new coach coming in for the Wanderers. This Yossip. will presumably be uh, Yossip's first match in charge. Uh, what we expect to see from him? Uh, just calm, mild-mannered. <laughs> just with the occasional knee slide yeah. <laughs> and wrecked huge dry cleaning bill for his suits it's an interesting choice isn't it um, I think it's a good choice personally but they've been trying to go down that road of playing a more uh, I don't know whether you call it a Spanish style game but certainly European more European style game um, you know when they first came on the scene the Wanderers under Popper they were, they were very I'm not saying they were over physical but they were Organised, yes. Um, pragmatic, uh, happy to play on the counter if necessary. So this is probably the next step in their evolution. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's actually going to work out really well because I think with the, the Spanish players they've got, they've brought in, and I think a lot of them were really quite upset that Crisco was leaving uh, yeah. so soon after them arriving. Uh, I think Gomba coming in is going to be a good salve for them. So I take it we can, we can rule Jossip out of uh, the Socceroos job now. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Part, yeah. Well, He's gone. Maybe if uh, Ange does stay to the end of the World Cup, who knows what will happen after that. Mm. Mm. Well, Fante Milicic might be... Uh, well, I found it interesting that, um, for I understand that Milicic, they wanted Milicic, but they wouldn't pump up the money to get Milicic. Obviously, he's based in Croatia now. Yeah. Um, and there was obviously a German coach they were looking at, so Gombau's obviously come... Down the pecking order, I think he's a great choice. He knows the A League, did very well at Adelaide, very good at developing young players, as we've seen with Mobile and yeah. some other ones. So I think he'll do a good job. No, I think I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. Uh, and uh, apart from that, I think the other highlight for this weekend will be seeing how the VAR is going to be used. We t- uh. touched on this earlier, but that was absolutely catastrophic use last weekend. Uh, uh, how, how can we fix the VAR? I think easy. Get rid of it. Get rid of it mm. altogether. You reckon? Get rid of it. Yeah. I don't like it. I, I, it's I, not going to happen, by the way, because, uh, and this is the crucial bit of the whole discussion. Johnny Infantino wants it at the World Cup next year. Yeah. And he was quoted this week as saying, "I can't imagine a game of football now without VAR." So, it's here to stay. That's not to say that it's right. I mean, obviously, we've got some teething problems with it. I think it will improve. Um, but personally speaking, I don't like it. I, I think it causes more arguments than it solves. Because the laws of the game are still robbery. Yeah, I mean, oh, it, it's absurd. That's true. That's, so how can you is, have... Like, you know, the, I'll give you the classic example. I wrote this last week. The Reese Williams challenge in the Melbourne derby on Osama Malik, right? So he slides in. Obviously, it's a foul. And we spend two minutes while... I think it was... Was it Peter Green or Sean Evans? Anyway, whoever the ref was... Uh, you know, going to the sideline, peering into the screen, watching it over and over, and at the end of it, he came back and issued a yellow card, and the crowd goes, boo! You know, <laughs> that's the wrong decision. <laughs> What's the point of that, then? Yeah, exactly. I, I agree. I, I think there is a place for it, but we have to 
use it better, certainly. And we were talking about this before we came on air. We could use it the same way as cricket and uh, rugby league use it, where referee makes a decision, it, gets re- it can then get referred to the yeah. VAR. Appeals. Either yeah. appeals from the bench yeah. or um, the, uh, the uh, video ref steps in and mm. says, actually, can I just have a quick look at this? And if it's inconclusive, it goes with the original decision. And we don't have this ridiculous well, I think it still, the I think sidelines. it still does that now, doesn't it? The problem well, is, is we would go to the sidelines and then peer yeah. at it. The, the, pro- the problem screen. is, it just and then they're controversial. The, they're, the use of video referees are controversial in those sports. Yeah, and people want them out of those sports. Yeah, so I mean, it just opens a Pandora's box I, I and gets the more of the game. Yeah. Each bench has like three appeals, same as sort of tennis type yeah. idea. Three appeals, and you can mm. uh, use them as you see fit. I spoke to Strebray Dolosky at your at your book launch, and he told me that the VR is reviewed automatically on four occasions, which is goals, penalties, red cards, and mistaken identity. So every time one of those incidents mistaken happen, identity auto- automatically. So Graham Paul would have been would have loved the VAR. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I think my fear is that the, it, it's it's going to ultimately and inevitably bleed into other areas of the game. Yeah. I've already had an A-League coach say to me, we need to use it for yellow cards, because one of his players towards the end of last season got a, picked up a book in, which was his fifth, which then ruled him out of a, an important game. And he's like, well, you know, that, that was wrong. That, that decision was wrong, and it's affecting... It's match-changing, it's just not necessarily yeah. that much. So it's yeah. going to be, what, every tackle now, every offside? Exactly. Games are going to take four yeah. hours. Contentious throw-ins, I mean... It's going to be like yeah. baseball. Yeah. Yeah. And going, you know, the uh, the macaroni one as well, where it went like two phases yeah. in play. It's just come on. You keep going back, don't you? It's yeah. a great yeah. quote from uh, Massimo Mignano Allegri, the, the Juve coach, because of course the VAR is in operation in the Serie A as well. And he said, ultimately, it's going to be like baseball. We'll all go to the stadium mm. and sit there for 10 hours eating peanuts. Yeah, um, yeah. no one watching, watching the actual game. game. Yeah. Um, and I, just, yeah. I think it's farcical, but I accept that I'm of a different generation. So, No, I, th- I think personally there's a place for it, but we're you're doing it terribly. Goal line technology, that's all we need. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree but with that. Strebray also said that it was brought in to, uh, for howlers. To get rid of mm. yeah. that's the main thing. But no, but it's not been used everything's been scrutinised by it, and it's just terrible. Well, again, uh, without sorry, trying to promote an article that I wrote last week. You know, for me, you've got to change the culture <clears throat> before you change the game. The reason why the VR has been brought in is because everybody now has access to technology, and everybody is uh, sees conspiracy at every turn, and that, that everybody's biased against my team and. Boo! You know, refs have become the pa- the pantomime villains of, of football, uh, and therefore the FFA have almost felt like they've had no choice but to try and offer their guys some support. And I understand why they've done it. I think it was well intentioned, but it, to me, it's become counterproductive. And I, I would like to see. And this is why I'm in favour of this yellow and red card system for coaches. I think that's a really good thing mm. to bring in because every game the coaches are baiting the fourth officials and in some cases the referee as well Paul Ocon on Sunday and I'm, I'm only picking him out as a random example he's not the only coach but he had a running conversation with Adam Fielding about every decision he made that's wrong the, mm-hmm. the coaches should not be involved in the game to that degree yeah. and the players take their lead from the coaches and the fans take their mm-hmm. lead from the players <clears throat> so we've got a, a perfect storm whereby the ref is basically the, the subject of conversation after every damn game. And I'm sick and tired. I don't want to talk about referees yeah. and rules. Yep. I don't about you. I want to talk about footballers and the game. But fans have now got it into their head that every week is about that decision. 
that changed the game and it was biased against my team. Let's grow up. You know, if we can take an example out of rugby union, ref blows his whistle and they've got some of the most, you know, you need a degree in astrophysics to understand. (laughs) But when the ref blows his whistle and says free kick, penalty, whatever he says, the the rugby union players, maybe it's because they're dumb, I don't know, go, oh, okay. And back they go to their mark and they get on with it. Now, you know, imagine that in football. Why can't we do that? We have crowded players. Arms up in the air and pushing but the ref. What would Roy Keane do? Manipulating the referee does work. Like you can get the ref to give you more 50-50 yeah. chances, well, but it shouldn't. Should. Yeah, mm. but I mean, it does work. It, like, it shouldn't, it, as you say. And you know, the, the suckling of the referee. It's an ugly. Barisha look. pushing the referee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I have to take issue with some of your colleagues. Fox Sports saying that that's okay. Some of the, your Fox Sports colleagues saying that that was okay. Really? Yeah. Uh, Who said that? A Robbie and uh, did he Brenton? Yeah, they just didn't feel it was worthy uh, wow. of a suspension. Okay. I didn't. To be honest, I didn't know that. I'm su- I'm surprised and disappointed that. that yeah, that's so the case. was I. To be honest, um, anyway. But we really need to clamp down. Officials are going to be sacrosanct. Absolutely, yeah. you can't lay a finger no. on them. You can't lay. They a should be sacrosanct, and you, you shouldn't be able to talk back to them. To be honest, correct. Mm. Uh, the, just going back to the VAR, my cynical mindset maybe suspects that FIFA wants the VAR brought in because it would be a nice little ad break. <laughs> <laughs> well, the you know, Cup. sponsorship. Yep. I, I'll tell you a funny story. So, again, Streb, we love Streb Dilovsky. We really do. He's yeah. such a top guy. So I was at the Central Coast on Sunday, and, and it's you know, quite a small stadium, so the, the corporate boxes, the TV commentary position is right next to the VAR. So they're all cramped in their little box, and we're waving through the <laughs> So every time there was a, a controversial decision, of course, I'm, I'm looking through <laughs> And I'm making the square, um, you know, like this to Streb, uh, the TV screen, at which point he comes back at me with the McDonald's gold artist sign. <laughs> <laughs> so I've said to him at some stage we've got to see you on TV with the advert with the, big <laughs> <laughs> the burger <laughs> and I think on that note it's probably a good time to bring it to a close um, thank good you. stuff that was brilliant enjoyed time. it thank guys you thank on. you uh, good luck with the book uh, thanks it's going to be huge uh, Goblin a Stick just, just a, a, a Goblin a Stick yeah uh, get it from uh, online and bookstores and uh, if you're in a news agent you can always buy the magazine we've still got the best new signings in the A-League this issue on sale for another week or two uh, so yeah snap that up it's the best new signings in the A-League and the EPL uh, amongst other stuff it's a fantastic issue uh, thank you Con. thank you John thank you Simon thanks uh, guys sorry I yeah. talked all over you t- today it's alright I tend to do that <laughs> just to go on a stick <laughs> Thanks, guys. See you next week. Cheers. Cheers.